0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: Hello, hello, hello. For the last time this series, with a guest at least, and welcome to the Starting Line Podcast with me, Rich Lee. It's an interview podcast. We talk to entertainers, athletes, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, incredible people, successful people with great stories to tell. And we talk about their starting lines. Where did they start from? We all start from somewhere. And what did they do with that start? Just 12 weeks ago, I released the first episode of the Starting Line Podcast back in August. And that was with Levi Roots. And as we approach the end of the first series, we're going to have another couple of episodes just behind the scenes, answering questions as well. So if you've got any questions, hello at startinglinepod.com or get in touch across our social channels at Starting Line Show across most of them or search for the Starting Line Podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn. You'll find it there too. Um, Comment on a post DM, email, whatever you want to do. Get a question to me about the guests, about me, about the podcast, about anything you want and we will answer them. But this has gone from an idea that I just couldn't get out of my head to a show that's consistently been in the top 1% of all podcasts and it's charted pretty much every episode. We've had three OBEs, we've had one MBE, we've had world champions, world record holders, Olympic medal winners, multi-millionaires and people giving back and supporting their communities in unique and incredible ways. As best as I can summarise, I think each guest is united by curiosity, resilience, and obsession. The pursuit of making theirs and other people's lives better. Today's guest is such a lovely person to end the first series on. Her name is Susie Chan, and Susie is an endurance runner, but she's... Unlike most, you might know. Sure, she's ran the Marathon de Sable more times than any other UK female. She's broken the 12-hour treadmill world record in 2016. She's a distance runner that was named the number one runner to follow on Instagram by Runners World and even in Standard. She's been on the cover of Runners World, Women's Running, featured in plenty of other publications. She's commentated on tons of big events And she is a Peloton instructor, but her route into running was not typical. Susie got into running when she was 35, 36. She, by her own admission, was a bit lost, smoking, drinking, a single mum, and without direction. She found running her brother, we'll obviously get into this in the episode, but her brother convinced her to do a half marathon. From there, it was a marathon. From there, it was a Marathon de Sable. Again, a six-day endurance race in the searing heat of the Sahara Desert, over 250 kilometers. She's an incredible person in that I think everybody I've spoken to about this episode has said, oh, wow, there's hope for me then. Because she is not somebody that's been doing this from birth. She, She was not a runner by nature. She said that her first half marathon, she wore an underwire bra completely the wrong trainers and she then just fell in love with it and I think the the beautiful thing is this isn't me saying everybody that listens to this get out there get running that's what you should be doing it's that acknowledgement that maybe we don't know what we're doing from the off maybe it's okay not to know what you're doing and coming into something that tiny bit later in mid 30s isn't old I say that I haven't just turned 36 so be kind (laughs) but she is an example to everybody that, yes, of course you can do it, should you want to do it. She is a wonderful, joyful, exuberant, bubbly personality to finish the series on. And I think exactly what I was trying to do, which is to show that no matter what your starting line was, you can absolutely take control and change the direction of your life. I'm incredibly appreciative of Susie's message. In fact, as I, just before, an hour before I sat down to record this intro and outro, She said it was an interview unlike any other she'd had, in which we spoke about so much more than just the running. It's just amazing to hear that the likes of Mike McCarthy, who was a journalist for 30 years, said it was the best interview he's done. And bear in mind, he's been interviewed by the media, left and right, because of the stuff he did with the Baton of Hope. Thank you very much, as ever. All that remains to be said is without further ado. I bring to you my conversation with Susie Chan. Before this, I, I worked, I've been doing PR for 15 years now, but before that, I was a personal trainer.
2: Oh, were And you? I was a Did class instructor...
1: No, Susie, look at me. No. I, I, I run. I do like ten meter bursts on a rugby pitch. from when? Okay, I went. okay. Uh, not less you and less. You just need
2: now. to come to a class, anyway. I should. We but do. We do walking classes, walk rounds and runs. Yeah,
1: I loved. Well, I Mommy mean loved and love spin. I used to teach. A oh, lot you should definitely. So spin. I don't teach spin. spin, but yeah, do you it
2: not, is. It's, it's no, I don't do the bike. I just do the running. Yeah, but it's definitely tread. an experience. It's um, mm. and, and I'd say every single class there's people fly over from America. Really? Yeah. There's, there's people it's come. So, it's is. It is. We're
1: very fortunate. I can't do what you do i can't switch off and i hate my own head
2: yeah so. oh yeah so do i oh yeah, yeah. really yeah 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to, it's, it's, i'm the master of distractions anything that's the, that's anything for the fact i'm running when i'm running
1: that's the thing i listen to you speaking to somebody about um you know counting lampposts and things like that oh yeah and Understood. just anything just to anything but running give you the, the fact yeah. that i'm running <laughs> yeah but yet you do it and you do you do the yeah. distances you do
2: yeah, there was one race where it was absolutely, and it was deliberately mind numbing. It's deliberately so there's nothing to think about. What's that? It's in a 400 meter track, and you just run around it for a day, 24 hours. What? That was in Tooting, but they've moved it to Battersea.
1: That yeah. sounds.
2: It's so called self transcendence. Oh yeah. And apparently it's supposed to self transcend. So everybody's
1: there like all yeah. zen, and you're like, oh, I hate this.
2: <laughs> oh, it was a mess. I was an absolute mess. But then afterwards, I, I can't remember. I cannot remember hours of it.
1: Really? How long was it?
2: 24 hours. You're just it there. Like, 24, 24 hour hours. run. Just. Going nowhere, seeing nothing, you're just you and, your, you
1: and your own head. Which How is, many things did you do? Many, I did uh, about
2: 106 miles. 106
1: miles. <laughs> it's funny because when you start talking distances like that, and again, I'm saying that, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go for a run for a mile. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, it's horses for courses, though, because I
2: can't do six press ups, so, you know. Uh,
1: <laughs> so I love your story. I love the way that you came into running. Yeah. I love the way that you came into Peloton then. One thing I've not really heard much about is. You much younger. I've heard mm. the thirty-five-year-old Susie that whose brother forced her into a yeah. half marathon. Who yeah. you know found <laughs> something, but I don't know anything about you before that. Tell me.
2: So I um, grew up. This is actually quite. Now this sounds quite unusual, and it's quite hard to explain. But I grew up on the in the grounds of a mental hospital. <laughs> hospital. See, I haven't heard this. Why haven't I heard this? I haven't because I don't. It's because I. Can't just leave it at that and no, it's, it's, you it's quite it it's that. quite a long it's quite <laughs> I have to explain it and so normally when I get interviewed I just don't have the time so my father is Hong Kong Chinese my mother's English right. um, and they met when they were very young as student nurses and um, when I was born they were both nurses in a hospital called Brookwood Hospital in Surrey and Brookwood Hospital it was sort of I think even then that was I was born in 1975 even then it was a bit of a relic right. in that it was a, a live-in hospital for elderly people and mentally ill people. And it was a huge community, so... How big are we it, talking? Uh, the grounds were huge. I don't know in numbers, actually, because I was like...
1: Looking hundreds of people? Hundreds. Really? Hundreds,
2: yeah, it was huge. It was like... It had. It was a little village. It had its own shop. It had its own church. It had its own little museum in it. It, it was its own community. Does it still exist? It... it doesn't know, right. it, but it has been rebuilt into new build houses. Of but they've kept the, of course it has. But they've kept some of the really old original buildings. Right. So in what was essentially a very white county of Surrey, yeah. there were a, a lot of where I lived in Knapp Hill and Brookwood. I lived in a road, and there was only only one white family. We were just all. Children because of immigrants, it was all, student immigrants. Nurses. It was all student nurses. So there were Filipinos, yeah. a lot of Filipinos, um, Hong Kong Chinese, just a real um, Indian, a real mix. And I grew up, and it was on the periphery of this hospital. And I just grew up in this world, thinking that was. Were there. <laughs> that was what where I, was where was school? School was in Nap Hill, Nap Hill First
1: School. Right. Okay. So how far was that from
2: where you lived? Oh, it was. Like I used to walk to school. Was, right. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like a very long way, but actually, now as a grown adult, it's about half a mile. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got to walk to school in the rain. Most people in the school had parents that worked in this hospital. It's it's a very
1: small, a very it's small little village really on the uh, self-contained. Yeah, little. and
2: it's next to a place called Brookwood Cemetery, which was right. one of the hugest cemeteries in the country. <laughs> because you got this
1: you got a mental hospital, you mental got hospital
2: a, next to the cemetery, and then we're. <laughs>
1: This sounds like a show. This sounds uh, yeah, like a TV show. You and, and
2: Brooklyn Cemetery was actually, I think it was built, um, I think when the plague happened, and it was just right. a place oh, in London God. to bury everyone. So it was, it was it was, all very Victorian buildings and nursing accommodation, and I lived in a house which was built back to front. <laughs> Again,
1: please explain.
2: And this does still exist as a road, it's called Oak Tree Road, and they started building the road, and the houses were facing the wrong way, and they realised that they were facing the wrong way to the road, so they switched them. Round. So half the houses were, had the front door, basically, with this lovely wooden front door opened into the back
1: garden. Right. <laughs>
2: and the back door opened into the road. So that's where I grew up. <laughs> right, OK.
1: So, so that's a wonderful start. How did your parents meet?
2: I don't right? know. I think they must have met as student nurses. They met as student nurses. It was the 70s. You know, I had an older brother, and uh, then I have a younger brother and sister who are twins. Right. And so you'd sort of, I, I would spend my... I had no know, Sundays, my dad would be working on a ward and I'd be the one sort of handing around the, the, the chocolates to, the, to, to, like, the geriatrics or whatever, or that, that sort of thing. I remember, I remember we were driving the car once through the hospital and he stopped and the person had crossed the road and then he waited and I said, what are you waiting for? He said, Oh he has to cross the road three times, he can't just cross it <laughs>
1: <laughs> a wonderfully weird but it was, kind it of was, beautiful place to It, it was, at.
2: and then as the hospital got disbanded, as it was it done, because it was quite... Do you know, do you know when that was? Uh, Thatcher, 80s, I think, and during right. the 80s, and then became care in the community, and then my father um, worked with, with uh, mentally ill people in the community. So I, I, I met a lot of mentally ill people as his patients, and there, there was a, a lot of them out there. So I was just... It, it was just very normal, like it is when you're a
1: child. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, both your parents were nurses.
2: Uh, nurses. My father has since become a doctor, um, and then my mother went to work at a university teaching student nurses. They split up when we were uh, young. How young's young is young? Uh, Ten, and it was very
1: acrimonious, very acrimonious, very rough. Did that mean then you split between two households?
2: Sort of. Yeah, it was very, very. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was quite, um, quite rough emotionally. I'd say as kids, no. but we just, you know, you know, when you're just a child and you just. Crack on, just, don't you? You yeah, just you just crack on, don't you? You just yeah. don't really know, do you? Just think, oh, okay. You I've just,
1: divorced. I've got three children, yeah. so I've sadly had to take them through that too. And yeah, but you
2: just you just you know
1: you do the best you can for them. But again, you just yeah, you, you just go. go they on bounce, right? Mm. Kids bounce.
2: I think yeah, absolutely. You just you just adapt. So it just it just was what it was, and there was just the four of us. And strangely, my family uh, it was very acrimonious. And then that time passed, and we just sit down as a family, both parents together, have dinner together, quite a few, at least once a month. <laughs>
1: I mean, still, yeah. you can see then. You can see the, what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure there's some degree of normality for you, right? No, some I think kind it's of... all very dysfunctional. But you know, like
2: <laughs> <laughs> in that family way, I think, and and, and, and there's those sort of those dynamics which only your siblings will understand. Yes. The nuances are going mm-hmm. on in those conversations and you're like, oh, for God's sake. And it's like, and, it, and to an outside person, it'll be like the most normal conversation ever. Yeah. And you're just getting wound up because it's like <laughs> your mum. Do you know what, what i
1: mean? saying? So we, like, were you, was that money? Were you, like, you know, were no, you, we were
2: absolutely skint. Yeah. We had no money. My mum was we were really poor. Like there, we used to have a neighbour up the road. She used to work in the school and she used to bring us the school dinners, leftovers to eat. Because we had, we, we, she was just always, my mum has been, bless her, terrible with money. And so we were always just running around in the wrong shoes, you know, and, like, not the right clothes or whatever. Like I say, as kids, you just sort of, you just sort of crack on. But when I got to... I left as early as I could. How old was that? 17. Right. I just went. You just, <laughs> See you did you know
1: that you always wanted to go as soon as you could
2: no it uh, yes I think so actually on reflection I don't know like I say you're just sort of doing your thing aren't you yeah and I was hanging around with like people my peers I I went to work at the age of I think I was like 13 when I got my first job what were you doing I worked in a bakery nice which was handy because I could bring the bread home when (laughs) So there's a lot of cakes a lot of breads were consumed. And um, I think I did a paper round when I was younger, then I did a, worked at a bakery and then I worked in a sports shop for Mike Ashley. <laughs> when oh, okay. back in the day before he was Mike Ashley. Oh hang know, on. So
1: for the, Mike Ashley. The,
2: for Mike Ashley, it was a uh it was called sport and ski back then. Right. Back in the early nineties. That's
1: probably a better name than sports Yeah, direct. then it changed to
2: sports <laughs> and soccer and then it changed to sports direct. Sports
1: do you know I didn't sports. know that sports soccer was the same one. Do you remember Don Do you remember yes, Donet?
2: Don, <laughs> One. That's the, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's the, I worked there and it was. He, he used He used to be an intersport, that's where he started, right. and then he just worked his way up.
1: So, did you work with him, as in like in a, I, I He came in. Yeah, this is it, yeah. years ago in the yeah, early 90s. Course. Yeah,
2: he used to come in and, and check out the store. He only had a few stores then, and then it just, before our very eyes, just <laughs>
1: went. <How> what <laughs> was that?
2: I, I loved it because I was very young. Mm. I'd found this sort of group of people who I just. I, I used to go to the pub with, or they just became my friends. I used yeah. to hang around with them and. We used to watch uh, Formula One together. It was a very, from Woking, very Formula One sort of town, um, just go to the pub together. And I just suddenly had this circle of people around me Mm. and I was just very happy within it. So you, I absolutely loved it.
1: We did you you said you left home at 17. Were you close still to your family or?
2: Yeah, but I wasn't that far away. I lived in a little bedsit above a uh, sofa shop, a sit right. working station. <laughs> right, okay. So it really was, it was just about a game. the size of this room, yeah. <laughs> it was at the, the fourth floor as well, right. so oh, got very all that way up. That's
1: yes, where your fitness comes from. It you know, is. You, don't,
2: <laughs> you didn't realize Right back then I was uh, doing the fitness. So I was I was I was very unfit then. I just was out part, you know, it was just like the 90s you? At 17, 18, 19 and I was just studying, I was do- going to university, I did my degree in art history. Were you good at school? Do you know what, I was, to a point, GCSEs I was, worked very hard, I got something, I don't know, I got little awards for being, I was the right oh, little spot, oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> oh, I was just, I was just really, I used to do my homework, I'd do it as soon as I got home to get yeah. it done, that sort of thing, and then uh, and then I think it just went a bit a well. not Right, 17, 18, I just was like, just getting drunk a lot and just hanging around with my mates. It's what you do. Isn't doesn't? It doesn't, yeah. It is what you do. So, so you the A levels were trickier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you got through it. Oh, yeah, I got through it and then got to university. And I had this ambition from the age of a small, eight, I'm going to say, about eight years old. I wanted, I loved history. Again, a bit of a spod. Loved history. And I wanted to work in a museum, or not any museum, I wanted to work in the British Museum, which was, as far as I could see, the pinnacle of all museums in the United Kingdom. Well. An academic powerhouse, and it's, uh, it, it's, 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 as far as I was concerned, the top of the tree. And that's what I wanted to do.
1: What drew you to History.
2: I don't know, actually.
1: Was it a teacher? Was there one person? Was there somebody at school that you thought, do you know what, they've said that I've got Do you a know what, actually, that's is,
2: unusual that is, you said that. You've pointed that out. The only... I can remember the name of my history teacher, Mrs Blackwell, but I can't remember the name of any other teachers. So that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe she was nice to me or whatever. I don't know where it comes from. But yeah, I remember being in her class, and then she became a form tutor, and I remember being quite happy about it. Yeah. I would say now that not a single one of my PE teachers would recollect me at all. <laughs>
1: no clue <laughs> do you think no clue i mean i wonder if they've heard of you since i wonder if in, in the last I mean, 10 years no. or so
2: oh, oh that would give me a deep joy to think so not that i was see, particularly what we bad need at is
1: you need to give us if you can like let's really think let's try and get some names let's go on linkedin uh-huh. and let's, like, let's that,
2: honestly my memory is, or
1: we'll look at your school and we'll yeah. see if they put it in their past but yeah. well, i employers. went to
2: saint john the baptist school yeah and before that saint dunstan's
1: okay we're gonna look very good catholic so you weren't sporty then
2: I was, I was just, I was bang average, really. And do you know what? To a certain degree, and we'll come on to this, I still am. <laughs> and I, I am, um, I don't think I was particularly bad. I was, actually, that's a lie. I was particularly bad at anything which involved any sort of racket right. or stick. Right. So any of those things was a flat no from me. Right, like so if, hockey, if, out. Hockey, no. Hockey, absolutely no. I just, I just, it, like, it, it like. Go
1: through... Is that a hand-eye coordination thing? Mm,
2: terrible. Okay. Still like that. <laughs>
1: did um, you play netball? I, I think I heard I, that you played so netball I did school?
2: play netball, so I... That was the only thing I was actually good at was netball, and that was centre. I worked my way up. I grafted. I was too short to be defence, but they yeah. they put me in defence, and then I worked my way up to attack, and then I went to centre. And I was the day I became centre of netball was I, I thought up until the age of thirty five the pinnacle <laughs> of, of my sporting
1: achievements. Um, well, we can wrap up this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See you later. Yeah,
2: thanks. That's it. Yes. Yeah, I I don't think. And I was good. They, they put me in the 4x100s, that sort of thing, at right. the end. I do remember um, being able to run, but not, you know, I wasn't running outside. I didn't do anything sort of, out of the school hours. So my mum my didn't really help. Well, <laughs> so we, but did you, you have like, hobbies outside of, outside of school? No. no. No, we didn't have anything, no. We just used to, like, borrow each other's bike and just pedal around the woods and that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> just... That's such a normal, no, that's so normal. Was but it? people, Kids don't do that now, though. You no, know, they and don't, no. Not, not to be all, you know, in our day, yeah. or in my day, but, you know... Back in all... our day. Yeah.
2: But when, when my parents were together, and we were really, really small, my dad used to ring a large bell outside the house to bring us in for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's,
1: it's efficient, all right. It's efficient, if it's nothing like else. Like, do and they hang on for as long as possible. So you went to uni, yeah. and where'd you go?
2: I went to... It's, it's called... What's it called? It's called the London, it was called the London Institute back then, but it's the London... It's University of the Arts now. They've right. changed.
1: So, I and they did a history degree there. there.
2: So, art history which I think they took off the curriculum recently and then put back on again. So I don't know where we are with that, but it was deemed so utterly useless that they took it off. <laughs> I so, <did> I- <laughs>
1: are you big into art history? Yes. Yeah?
2: I love art. So I, um, it was art history and conservation. It was a joint degree because I thought, because art history itself is just, I've got a degree in old paintings. And then I thought I'll do the conservation bit because that could lead onto a job in a museum because it's an it's a practical skill. And I can remember being weak One into the conservation element and realizing I'd made a very grave error because I'm not very good at science and they were using words which I couldn't even spell. Yes, it was chemicals, it was chemicals (laughs) and it was chemistry which I was bad at. What did you do at A levels? I did politics, English literature and language as one, art history, and classics,
1: right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was was all pointing in one direction. It was. was And and that wasn't science.
2: It was not science. (laughs) But I, I just managed to pass science. I think I got like C, C and a C for science. And so it was... Yeah, the, the sciencey bits of my degree was a massive drag factor.
1: And Did you, was it all three, four years? What was the. Three years. Three years. Three years, yeah. I was,
2: I was rubbish at that bit. I was so constantly was looking memories? over other people's shoulders for that one. <laughs> what, you, what is microspectroscopy? I don't know. I yeah. still remember it. So yeah.
1: <laughs> who's your favourite old oh, painter?
2: Uh, yeah, that's about asking your favourite band because it kind yeah, of depends no, okay. on your mood. So, so uh, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm much more modern. So I used to fly through the old stuff, and they'd be like, "What's this?" i be like, "That's the Annunciation," and they be like, "How do you know?" I'm like, "Because I'm a good Catholic." Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew all the biblical ones, and people yeah. were like, "How?" Do so you know? grew up Catholic? I was Catholic, yeah. Oh, okay um and so those were fine but for me it's always from the impressionism onwards expressionism right. and then particularly i did my sort of thesis in the 1960s and that sort of pop art era so mm-hmm. that's sort of like what would be the equivalent of fast fashion yeah. now but in the art world and i loved all that and i love sort of, the whole my... ethos of andy warhol
1: i was just about and, to say forgive my sorry. ignorance but i only know warhol yeah but that's fine
2: so. he was the pinnacle of it
1: I have done some work with the National Gallery oh, yeah. over, over the years, and uh, like Caravaggio, and, yeah, yeah. You know, so they yeah. had a big Caravaggio exhibition, so we did, we did a, a real life ima- reimagining of a couple of his paintings. Did you? Uh, yeah. We did it in Trafalgar Square, we got this troupe over from Italy, so they were on, Italia's Got Talent, and it sounds ridiculous that you can unveil a, a scene, of, uh, a scene yeah. and people are standing up clapping. It's I would do the that. The most would, beautiful thing if I've I, ever seen with I my think own to eyes. To
2: try and recreate a live Caravaggio
1: is is I, I'll, the I'll, sh- I'll show you. I, I will, I, I'll, I'll, I'll need, have to show you some photos. I
2: need to see that.
1: But what it, what it meant was this troop that we brought over. They all brought. So they're from this tiny little town. I wish I could remember the name. And um, they all brought their families. I, th- I think the whole village came. So yeah, we, we recreated it all in Trafalgar Square. A couple of thousand people came and wow. watched and, oh, and it. Oh, that's the
2: sort of thing I'd love to go to.
1: That was when I first started. My PR agency, you know, that was kind of one of our first clients, and I couldn't believe my job. luck. Could, what a
3: fun
2: job! What uh, a
1: fun job, Susie. That's so. With what you do, yeah. I've I've heard you speak about your job now, and you're like, I can't believe it. I can't no, believe no, this can't is what I do. It. No, I
2: can't believe what I do. And
1: I'm the same sometimes with some of the stuff that we do. I'm like, I can't believe I get paid to come up with stupid stuff yeah. and reimagine it in the world. That's and...
2: incredible. What a thing to do. I'd love to. I'd love to have seen something like that. Yeah.
1: You know, so my my I love art, but my knowledge of the old masters and all that is oh, no, is limited. I'm not very good
2: with that. No. Uh, I'm like, oh, Wayne and I say, like, like, is like, that Wayne, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Just literally, I can just do like, oh, that's a Turner. Okay. But then it's so sort of, it's, it's like I'm quite good in in quizzes in that situation. Yeah. Up to a point, the very very basic. So, you'll be my
1: phone a friend one day, if ever. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: Yeah. I have actually been a phone a friend. Have you really? I have Go have on. A <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. I bet it is. Tell it's me. It's very them. weird. So, my friend Ewan Thomas, is a, he's an Olympian, 400 meter. He, he was on Millionaire. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be a friend. friend. It was for art as well. He was like, for art and all that. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do art. I can do art. It's fine. Art and museums. He said, art and old stuff. But what they have to do is somebody. You have a pocket of time with which they're recording, and invigilator has to be with you the whole time, just
1: in case. Just in case he calls. Are you the only phone phoner friend? I've always wondered. No, this. they have a few
2: apparently, which is
1: ridiculous. So they've got like five people I th- just no, watching I think, you. I no, think, I think I think the
2: maximum they can have. I don't know, but I can't remember. It was only a really small number. But then, so somebody turns up at your house, like, and they're like, "Hello, I'm the invigilator. and then you're just sort of like, "You have got this stranger like a stranger in your of house." Tea, you know? <laughs> Waiting for the guy, he never call.
1: Uh, he never called. Never called. Ah. Oh, I know. So nothing came But up. I'm
2: sort of glad he didn't, because there's quite a, that's lot of, a lot of pressure. It's quite there? a lot, isn't it? Yeah. And then if you get it wrong, yeah, you've, it's a bit... I, mean, I don't mind getting it wrong for myself, but that's it's a little bit... So... Uh, I went well, to art college. Well, <laughs> well,
1: art college, <laughs> you're, you're thinking about the British...
2: British Museum, and then what happened, uh, uh, amazingly, again, just coming back to celebrating mediocrity, I was bang average in my class, like, (laughs) because the the science, I was very bad at the science, but I was okay at the art bit, but then we also actually did some practical art, and I was always encouraged by art teachers, they said, you're good at art, you should do art, do art, and I thought I was good at art, and then I went to art college. I realised I was absolutely shite at art. Oh, it's like,
1: because everybody else
2: everybody was, it, was like... Everybody else was like... Really exceptionally good at art. So my art was kind of average. My, my science was poor. But I knew, the, I, I knew the pictures. And then by complete chance... And this is one of those moments. They had... The university had set up voluntary, voluntary places where people were just placed into somewhere for um, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was literally names out of a hat. And they pulled out the British Museum, Susie Chan...
1: You are joking. I'm not joking. You got the sorting hat. You got
2: the <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah. I don't know what, yeah, I just, I don't know what happened there. And they. and everybody was like, Durr! and I was like, oh my goodness. So I got to volunteer at the British Museum. From promise
1: you, didn't, you didn't fudge that in any way. You didn't make that happen. I,
2: absolutely. No, no idea raised. that was going to happen. It was a complete chance thing. Wonderful. And then I got to volunteer for two weeks and... And the museum itself is um, its a very popular place. Lots of people want to work there. Mm. And it's actually really difficult to even become a volunteer. Like now, I don't know what the process is now, but this is back in the um, mid-90s. Mm. So it was probably less streamlined as it is now. But it was actually really difficult to get in to be a volunteer. So I got to volunteer for two weeks. I, I, di- I was just like a sponge, soaking it all up. I worked in the, in the medieval department in clocks and watches.
1: Wow. <laughs> did you learn a lot about clocks and watches quickly? I
2: did. I could take apart a small pocket watch and put it back together again. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so I was sort of doing some conservation. It was very, very light touch stuff because I was only there for two weeks. But then... They said, do you want to stay on? And so I went back and worked a, a day a week or, or a day every two weeks for the rest of my degree. And
1: Why do you think they asked you to
2: stay on? I don't know. It's free labour, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I just, I got on quite well with them. It was
1: quite nice. So it was free. You weren't being paid to do that? Not
2: at all, no. No. I mean, you, when I did get a job there, I was still barely paid to do it. So oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the wages were very, 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 very low
1: in that Do you job. think that's because they know they can?
2: Yeah. So I... Did the voluntary work, passed my degree, and then before between the end of my degree and actually graduation, I'd managed to bag a job at the British Museum. Um, and I think they had over 420 applicants. And the only way I'd got through was because I'd done that voluntary work and because those people in that department had written my sort of references.
1: There is that apprenticeship aspect of you know if you really want it, you've got to put yourself in a position where Uh, other people don't want to be. I
2: think that sector in particular, generally speaking, there's a, I would say the average sort of, I, I don't know. This is this is from my recollection from back in the days. People are quite, they come from quite wealthy families. That's exactly where I was going to get to. Yeah, yeah.
1: How did you cope with that? I was just skint you just all the time. your way yeah. through yeah. because I had
2: to get a job in a pub. So my first job, I got the job. It was a museum assistant, which was, and I. I cannot tell you how much I deeply loved that job. Like it was just every, it was like the fibre of my being. I loved being in that building. I was paid £10,100 a year. Ooh, as much <laughs> as that. <laughs> and I had to go and work in a pub uh, in the evening, um, uh, four nights a week, just to, just to get by. It was a great. It was really fun. It was a great place to be when you were young. Yeah. Um, I mean, I literally didn't have enough money to pay my gas bill. I was on a put to a meter, and I just sit, honestly, I would sit there in the dark sometimes. Yeah. I'd know. But however, the job would be like, oh, Susie, can you uh, can you go to Japan next week? We've got to do this exhibition, and I'm like, <laughs> yes. And so I was flying around Genuinely the world, flying was, around the world. Yeah, it just it, 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 going to Japan. I mean, I went to all of the. I went. I travelled a lot. The, the job had a lot of travel because I would have to take museum objects from the British Museum and put them on exhibition in other museums around the world and there was all these sort of exchange of, of objects around the world and I, I did that so I, just, I was just jetting off <laughs> yeah, <your electric's, laughs> with like on emergency bars or something yeah and I come <laughs> home and sit in the dark and like have a pot noodle for dinner it was it was really contrasting it was it was really really I loved it though I loved it it was sort of
0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash loss That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash weightloss. Well, totally worth it. So you just graduated.
2: Yeah, 22.
1: So you're 21, 22. 20, 21, 22. working at the British Museum. You'd always job wanted of
2: that. Job in my life. Job I really wanted to do my whole life. Got there and I was flying around the world and I made all these. I know, it was just fabulous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No money, but I didn't care. Because I was sort of, I, I was happy and I went to the pub and I worked in this pub mm. and I made friends working in the pub. Drama. Yeah, it was it was great. It was happy days.
1: And your folks still with us?
2: Yep, both yeah, out. both yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, both are.
1: Yep, yep. Both retired. Yeah? Yeah. Quite proud of you, I imagine.
2: No. no. <laughs> it's not the Chinese way. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now I wouldn't, maybe they are, I don't know, they just don't, just, they wouldn't say, I am proud of you, Susie, well done, mm. it's just like, I oh, am, yeah, well done. But I think in particular the running, they yeah. just simply don't understand, which I can, I can respect that point of view, because <laughs> the first time I did a really big run, I was yeah. like, don't tell Dad, because he will just see it as the most ridiculous waste of energy and time possible. To some degree, he's not wrong, is he? Well, no, you he can just quite... Does it, does it drive you? Does it upset you? I would say I'm I'm sort of indifferent to that I would say because yeah. it's not his, it's just it's it's just not his thing it's just not his thing so it it, it doesn't bother me that he's sort of indifferent he's he's neither here nor there about it I think he's probably at the beginning he was a bit against he was a bit against it cuz so like why would you why would mm. you do that why didn't you just do something else with your energy <laughs> and now he's just he's very very used to it and now the only time actually he's saying that when I think he was slightly proud of me was when he came to work at Peloton and he saw because it's very hard to explain yeah. to those that aren't in, that, that aren't familiar with, with Peloton and how it works and how big it is and and how the company operates. When he came to work and he saw like there's these huge pictures of like me and like all these people have come to run with me and then there's like the photos and it was it was a real moment and he was like oh well, she's doing quite well it was yeah. quite special for you yeah I think it was and I think that was probably the moment he could he realised that uh, I probably wouldn't ask him to lend me another hundred quid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, was he proud of you? Do you think when you were working at the museum? Because that's quite a I think, story. I
2: think. I think proud's a bit strong. It's just, it's just not a. It's just not a Chinese thing, to be proud. It's always like more money. Right, okay. <laughs> I think he. It was a good job. It was a good job. It sounded good. Um, and it was. It was a steady job. You know, it was civil service. Yeah. So it was. It sort of ticked all the boxes, um, but the pay was diabolical. <laughs> so. I think so, yeah. I think so. I think, but I think they probably both did, yeah. They just maybe didn't say it.
1: No. And your, but your mum's, where's your mum from?
2: She is from the UK, so she is, I don't know where she's from, Dorset, I'm going to say. Right, okay. Originally, yeah, oh, Yeah. Okay, somewhere okay. around there.
1: Lovely part of
2: the world. A Lovely part of the world. Yeah. Um, not so interested, I would say, no. No? <laughs> she liked the museum stuff. Doesn't, can't really get her head around the fitness stuff. She'll phone me and she go, I've got a sore knee. And I'm like, I'm not a physio, mum. Like, <laughs> but you run. Do you get sore knees? If I've got a sore knee. Why's my knee sore? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> That's a level of expertise
1: that she, she'll rely on me for. How was it being mixed race child in the 70s? I
2: would, See, again, See, this was something which I was not aware of because I was in this mm-hmm. environment, really... But if you step outside of that environment, it was quite white. But there was a lot of Italians in my school. Mm. And then Woking itself has the oldest mosque in the country, so a lot of Muslims. So it was right. actually very multicultural. It was like this little multicultural hub right in the middle of Surrey. Um, so I was very... Uh, really, it, it genuinely didn't occur to me that people didn't use chopsticks or add on the regs. Uh, I was that naive. I think naive is probably the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and then when I got to um, secondary school, I can remember somebody saying to me, um, and she didn't mean it in any harm at all. They were talking about dinner mm. and what we're going to have for dinner. And, and I can't remember what I said. I said, oh, I know what I was going to happen. It was invariably involved rice. Mm-hmm. And she went, Oh, yeah, you're slightly different, aren't you? And I went, Oh, what do you mean? She went, Yeah, but you're, because you're like, you're like half, half. You're like Chinese, and it did. That was the first time. And I can you remember never, having a real like. Oh, people look at me differently. I yeah. can remember having a really like. Oh, and it wasn't. She didn't mean any harm, and I wasn't. I wasn't actually even offended. It was just like it's just a, a realization. A, a realization. Oh, I was mm. like, oh,
1: oh. I wonder how it was for your parents.
2: I don't know. I think. I think where, we end, where they ended up when they were together, mm. it was quite a safe environment. There was always somebody having like a barbecue on a Sunday or, or there was always like the most incredible cakes and like the food was just... And I just thought everybody just had incredible stir fries and, and <laughs> Filipino <laughs> yeah. cakes. The, the only time I was hyper... The, the, <laughs> where I've had full out and out racism was when I was about 22 and I went backpacking with my brother... And I was like, I'm going to find my roots. I'm going to go. We, he lived in Hong Kong at the time. So I went mm-hmm. to in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's absolutely fine because there's absolutely tons of mixed race people there mm. because it's Hong Kong. Yep. And then we're like, let's go, let's go to China. Let's go to Beijing. And then we're like, let's go. And like, you know, I was learning Chinese. I was trying to get in touch with my roots a bit then. I was reading a lot about um, Chinese history. And um, I w- went went to China and, um, oh, unbelievable racism. Oh, yeah. People would just come up and spit you on the street. It was unbelievable. And they were sort of swearing kind of sh- at me, like, and I had to decode what they were saying. And they were they're properly swearing. Yeah, oh, why?
1: It's
2: because you Well, this was late 90s, so we're pre-the Olympics. Yeah, so it doesn't
1: even sound that long ago, Susie.
2: It is, it's, it's, I, I think, in, in terms of Chinese, at the time in China, the, uh, mm. the tourism really was only if you would go in on a cruise mm. or quite a big organised tour, so backpacking wasn't really a thing for a start. And so... I think that was quite unusual in itself. And then these two half Chinese people and people. I had my hair pulled. I was hit with a stick by policemen. It was unbelievable. And I can remember like thinking, huh, this is what I was expecting. I'm never coming back so here again. I was so naive. And then I um, we went to get a train ticket to try because we were really traveling on no money to go and see the terracotta soldiers. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a train, train station and they had a foreigners only window so And it was only open for like two hours a week. So we couldn't queue up and buy tickets. You had to wait until that day of the week to go and buy the ticket. And then when we went there on the allotted day of the week, there was just a sea of Chinese people ahead of us that they didn't queue. And so we were sort of trying to fight away before the ticket office closed. Unbelievable! <laughs> it was just, it was just, and uh, I was like, I was going to go there for a month. Honestly, two weeks. I was on a plane to Bali. I was like, I'm getting really? out of here. <laughs> I'm going to go to the beach. Yeah, it was yeah. it was very tough, and it was it was actually it was a tough country to try and navigate around as a backpacker. It just right. wasn't really a sort of backpacking place. And I have got I have got a good story from my time in in China. So we went to see the Great Wall of of China. Yeah, and <laughs> this is quite bad. Um. And we're like, let's go to the Great Wall. And so there's there's a few points where you can go up on cable car because it's on the top of a mountain range. So travelled out on a bus, got off in middle of nowhere, but there was this little cable car to go to the top of the Great Wall of China. After sort of gesticulating, me using my terrible Chinese, we got a, two tickets up to the top of the Great Wall of China. We're up there, me and my brother, and it was like, oh, my God, Great Wall of China. Take my photo. we was walking up and down. It was just us two up there. And it was like, it's absolutely beautiful. And my brother was like it's really quiet, why is it so quiet? And then we looked and they'd switched off the cable car <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay. So we wandered back to the cable car and we were like, um, we've got return tickets, sort of like, and he was like, no, it's off now, sorry, <laughs> sorry, no. We were like, but can we, we need to get, we need to get off this snowy mountain because it's like, the a sunset and he was like, absolutely not, he refused to switch on the cable car so we had to walk off this mountain. Hours, well, I was. Uh, this was uh, this was the tipping point. This is where, like, I'm going to Bali, right? <laughs> we finally, savage. like, I don't know how long we were walking down this mountain for, and then we were on this road in the middle of nowhere. There were no buses. There was nothing, and so I got all the money, all the yen I had in my pocket out, and I flagged down a car, and and I waved the money in his face. I said, "Take me to McDonald's." Right? <laughs> And I said that because if there's a McDonald's, it means there's a, there's a town. And yes. If there's a town, then there's like to be a hotel. Right. So I was like, take me to McDonald's.
1: That's a great travelling tip.
2: <laughs> and it was about an hour and a half in this car and he literally practically drove me through the front doors. And then I decided that I would go on holiday elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, so not,
1: not been back to China since.
2: No, and actually I'd like to go because it has, yeah. it, I'm almost it, certain it's, it's, changed, it's changed a lot. It's, it's been, you know, there's a, there's a lot more um, cultural exchange mm. and um, the Olympics I think was a, real, was a real moment for them.
1: How long were you at the British Museum?
2: Um, I was, I was 97, I was there for about 10 years I'm going to say. Right. And then I moved from there and it was an absolute wrench to move by. I moved from there to, to get out of London to right. take my daughter. Because you had your daughter at 26, didn't you?
1: 26, yeah. yes. So you're only a few years into your career, really. Yes. Yes.
2: Well, I, I've, I felt like I've been doing it a long time. I think at that point, and I don't know why. Yeah. Because it was quite. I, I found it, it was very immersive. It would be. I would really, genuinely look forward to going to work on Monday. Okay. Yeah. I'd be like, oh
1: yeah. So how was that then when you had your little one? Yeah. Did you take her in? Like you know, what was the situation like? You no, know, just, no. A lot she. Of time she away it was. It was a
2: bit hard actually because I had to. I did the maternity leave and I had to go back. To, I had to keep paying the bills and then it was just. It was. I just had to go back to work, yeah. which was a bit of a shame. Uh, but she just went to to childcare and then to nursery make and then school. Don't you? you just yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how I managed to make it work. I just needed to move out of London for her, just mm. to be just just to have a little bit of. I just needed to refocus because I was a bit sort of. I I felt like I needed to sort of just realign my life again a bit because I was just in this job which was and I loved that job I could tell you I loved that job but I knew it was dead end right.
1: <laughs> there were people so there was no there was no kind of like very levels difficult, there was no very difficult very very difficult
2: yeah there'd be like for it was very very difficult to progress there were people that had been doing the job which I was doing for like 20 years right. and so it and I just thought as much as I love it and I could have stayed doing that job forever. Yeah. And fr- some of my friends are still there doing, doing that job. And I just thought, oh, I need to, I need to try and do a little bit better here. Mm. And so I resigned, which broke my heart. I split That's up it. with my daughter's dad all in the same week. I was like, right, OK. Life change. Here we go. <laughs> Switch things up. And I moved to Farnham in Surrey, which was sort of near enough my mum my and my dad, who lived separately, but... Not so close. I could just turn up. Well done. You know, to <laughs> Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I'm just going to pop but, around. But, but near enough. So near it's enough like, that you
1: can you, you can get the. Yeah. You're not, you're not you need. passing. You're not yes. passing yet. Yeah. I mean, was that then difficult in terms of? Again, it's a very personal question, but in terms of the breakup and then moving away from that, like you know, was is he was he part of your daughter's life?
2: He sort of was and wasn't. He's right. great. He's a great guy. But it, again, I just I just sort of cracked on with it. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, something's for the best. Yeah. Um, I was still, by this point, very poor, though. It's <laughs> <As> a theme. <laughs> I had no money. And I couldn't quite afford to get back into the museum world and, and I couldn't afford to commute, basically. Mm. So I just sort of took a local job just for a couple of years just to sort of resettle. What was that doing? Oh, it was awful. Okay, I hope nobody at the council was listening. I worked for the local council for a little while. Well, they
1: know it's awful.
2: It destroyed uh, me from... The, it was. I Genuinely, <laughs> I couldn't watch The Office because I didn't find it funny. Because it was live. <laughs> because I was like, this is... this. I what is this? This it. is like a documentary of my life. I can't watch it. I just didn't really f- ever fit in. Really? I didn't really fit into that one.
1: Because I was because a bit you're sort of extroverted, and you're, you're I wasn't then. I was
2: actually quite shy, but I was just—it was just—wasn't my vibe. Right, <laughs> it was just all, like, oh, hello, the lilando you know? I have grown, and I like too much. I'm like, oh, I did not care. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, so, so you yeah, did that for I, a bit. I did that. What were you bit. doing? I, I answered the phone for planning complaints. Mm. Are you are I you distro- are so you destroyed already? Yeah,
1: I I can't imagine. <laughs> Nobody's calling you saying, "Hey, good morning." Yeah, no, it was it was a lot. It was right, a lot.
2: Um, so I did that for a bit just to sort of pay bills, um, and then I, I I got back into museums, and um, I, I went I worked at the uh, South Bank Centre at the Hayward Gallery, which was contemporary art, which actually thrilled me that because was it's it's, a, it's actually the the same job, but no. it's just different things, different different million pound things you're hanging on the wall or, or, or putting on a shelf or whatever yeah. and it, what was interesting for that is we were more often than not working with artists who are still alive. So I met some fantastic artists. Okay. Um, uh, Anthony Gormley, mm-hmm. Grayson Perry, brilliant people, absolutely brilliant people. Um, Bridget Riley, I met who? I was like... <laughs> <gasps> so I used to bring my daughter, so when I worked at, the, at Hayward, I used to bring my daughter when she was quite small and just ask her what she thought of the exhibitions. And it was so refreshing to have a five-year-old. And people would yes. be like, I really like that. And am like, why? Because it just when I look at it, it makes me feel nice. And I'm like, brilliant. Like, That's what? Do, it what, needs what? Yeah, this literally is that simple. It yeah. It's that simple. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's that simple. And it is fun kind of beauty in small things like that so yeah the yeah it's a wonderful
2: yeah it was great so i worked there for a while um actually really enjoyed it but i did have a bit of a bit of a yearning for for museums again because mm. it, it, it's the same job slightly, slightly different different vibe there it was there was parts where i'd be like oh god you know what are you <laughs> having long conversations with people and they're talking about moving like literally two millimeters and i've just spent like two hours putting it on the wall I'd be like, okay, no, it's fine. We can move it two millimetres. It's fine. Let's move it. Let's just take it all down and move it two millimetres to the left. Yeah, <laughs> you think they were just messing with you? Is there
1: art? Is there art? there, there art?
2: <laughs> No, I did enjoy it. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to go back to... There was something... So the, I'd, I'd look at a, a piece of art. it would be like, okay, this is incredible. This is worth, I don't know, 17 million pounds or whatever it is, something like that. Oh, it would be absolutely incredible. And then people would have these very, very long conversations about it. And it'd be like, beautiful, beautiful. But I also yearned for... The pot, <laughs> which has just had been in somebody's house X thousands of years ago. And it was just a very humble pot, for example. And I'd be in the museum and I'd be like, ah, somebody's just used that like 2000 years ago. That's and here I am that. right now looking after it. And that used to blow my mind, blow my mind in the museums. And so I, was, I sort of missed that. It, it's less sort of... Created and not forced is probably the wrong word, but when you look at art, like somebody sat there and they planned it, they've done it, designed it, and they've, they've executed it. And then in a the museum, you'll just have literally just, I don't know, but like a shoe which somebody has worn in Egyptian times. So you'll be like, look at that! Somebody wore that! And that's, that's what gets you. That's <laughs> yeah, that used to make me super excited. And so I went back to museums. I wonder does legacy
1: matter to you and what you leave behind?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked about that question before.
1: Maybe a little bit. Just, just as you said that then, I was thinking, okay, so is, it, is that permanence of, of something, you know, like yeah. the, you know, the world record? And,
2: well, yeah, so but people say you die twice, certainly, when the day you die, and then the last time somebody says your name. Yeah. No, it's never, I don't, I'm not doing the things I'm doing. So I'd be like, I want people to talk about me for years after I'm dead. Not at all. No. I, haven't, I haven't really thought about it like that. I I I'm not a very deep thinker, I'm afraid. Rich, so like, you are. Not, you you you
1: you've spoken much more deeply than you've possibly given yourself credit for. Us, um, you know, t- to say that you can look at a pot that's thousands of years old, and you're, you're looking at that for, for reasons of its permanence and it, and almost not because somebody created it I, to I be looked it, at. I think
2: it was the history element that that excited me rather than the art. I love art, yeah. but there was there's an extra dimension. When you add in history, isn't mm.
3: there? Yeah, no, I think I there, there really agree. is.
2: I'll, yeah, I'm the sort of person that if I'm in London and there'll be like an old building, like there is, and, and I look at a step and it's been worn down over time, and the building's like from the same, and I think, oh God, look at that step's been worn down. And then those, you're telling all me all those you're... people that have stepped on this step—that's <laughs> deep thinking, Susie. <laughs> <so good. No. laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I, I think that's that in particular was was what I what I missed, and also, yeah, it was just the the humble things the sort of everyday things and and then occasionally i'd be in in the job in the british museum and something would you had to treat everything the same all objects are the same value didn't matter whatever but now and again i would be stood there and i'd be looking at something i'm holding and i'd be like oh my god I remember once i had to i saw um queen victoria's christmas cards from her kids to her and I was like, look at holding them, and I was like, oh my good lord, this is incredible. I'm stood here holding these things, yeah, and I I did get it with art, but it was it was it was I didn't find it yeah quite satisfying for some reason.
1: What is your most favourite piece that you've that so you've I do with? have
2: a favourite object that I worked in the Department of Asia and there's some incredible Japanese objects there. I've got real fondness for, for everything Japanese. However, this, the, these are... this are a real level geek. So the thing... And the reason I'm going to pick these is because they were... I had a little postcard of them and I remember... Saving my my money from the bakery to go to London to the British Museum to look at these objects. And it was a Lewis chessman, and these were little chess pieces which were found on the Isle of Lewis. I um, can't remember the history about them. I'm sure somebody else will fill you in on that. <laughs> um, and I just they were just beautiful and fascinating little ivory carved pieces. So you ended up
1: working with them. So something that you bought I, postcards. It took
2: on. me years in the British Museum to get anywhere near them because right. I was in a different department. But I then. Uh, so they're just beautiful. I bought this postcard. I had the postcard at home. Um, and then I was on, I, I went on loan to, it was called the Treasures of the British Museum and it toured the world. It was a global tour. Like, it's like sort of rock tour, but with <laughs> museum objects. <laughs> and um, the Lewis Chessmen were part of it. And I was just absolutely delighted to be, to be able to, to finally pick, pick them up. Not with my bare hands. I had gloves on conservation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, but
1: just to be like, and I remember thinking these were the things that I came to see. The reason that, that interests me, and you're saying about nerding out, every single person is obsessive. All of these people are undoubtedly successful in their own right. Are mm. doing their own things, you know, have achieved you know fantastic things. But for most people, it's not the financial reward of the thing that they are obsessed with. If you spoke to David Attenborough, do you think oh, he gives yeah. a shit about being famous? Uh, I, but. What?
2: British Museum, I had afternoon tea with David Attenborough (laughs) because he was a trustee of the British Museum. How was that? Oh, my gosh, honestly, I don't... I can't believe... Like, this is before camera phones, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He was just as affable and lovely as you would expect him to be. I'm so glad to hear And it. we had, it was, it was in Coins and Medals, where I worked in that department before, I we on to the Department of Asia. And he was a trustee, and he came in, and we had afternoon tea. It was all the trustees came in. And somebody brought bought some homemade scones in, and they'd put the scones on the table, and then they went off to get the little side plays, and he didn't even wait. He'd straight in, cream, jam and cream were down his tie, and he was like, oh, oh. oh. And I was like, oh. David Attenborough.
1: You're everything I hope <laughs> you'd Oh, this, this moment, I want to bottle it. Yeah. <laughs> he, all he cares about is being great. Yes. The thing that he cares about, right? And you know, and that's that's almost the wonderful thing. So what I hear when you talk about those things and the fact that you had that postcard on the on your wall and it's a curiosity and an obsession. The fact that you can remember them, you know, and and it's just it just fascinates me the yeah. the, the fact that yeah you know, that undoubtedly translates into the running
2: well nobody's ever put it together like that but maybe you're right yes i've, 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 never, honestly, I've never thought about I've it i've picked
1: at these threads with everybody i've spoken to and, and and i don't think i'm imagining it but everybody that i've spoken to is is in some way shape or form that obsessive about the things yeah. you know and for you it was right i need i want to work there yeah i'm gonna work there yeah I, i've wanted to work and there you did, you know, yeah so i'm just trying to pick up the thread of where 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 we were where so, got to. so i am now way...
2: back in museums i went yes. to work at university college london Somewhere between working at the Hayward Gallery, the Arts Council Collection, which is where I was sort of based in the Hayward Gallery, and University College London, I was <laughs> single mumming it, just trying to juggle everything, and then that's when my brother asked me to run a half marathon.
1: Now, it always, the, the two things, <laughs> your brother <laughs> asking you to run the marathon, we'll definitely get on a half marathon, we'll definitely get on to, but at that point in time, what, what was your life like?
2: uh pretty stagnant i think would be the 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 word yeah so i i wasn't massively fired up about the job I had, nothing could have compared to the British Museum because it was—it's that—that was the problem I had. I can remember thinking it whilst I was doing it in the British Museum, like this is for me, this is the job I wanted. Mm. I'm doing it, and like I'm twenty twenty-three years old now. What? And so, I, nothing could quite compare. And and the slightly higher up, I was working up the more admin-y it got, and the more I was like, oh, I have to write something about strategic policy, and it was incredibly boring, yeah. and I wasn't hanging a painting on the wall anymore. And so it was a—it li- was fine. It was actually fine. And the and University College London uh, where I was working at they've got their own teaching collections the people I met there brilliant and I have always enjoyed being one of the thickest brain people in the room like there's always somebody like that like, really intelligent people and and so this is my job I just wonder but I go, you're just oh, learning this? right yeah I was just constantly dropping information in I mm. remember having a conversation with um astrophysicist and he was explaining a particular type of black hole to me and I was like can you explain it to me like I'm five and he went okay this particular black hole bends space so much, if you stood in it, you'd be looking at your own arse. And I was like, that, <laughs> that, that's the sort of level of science I now, can Where's get that science at school?
1: You then might have been okay so when you came to the I was
2: constantly degree. surrounded by these really bright, intelligent people. So it was, it was great. But then I would come out of my job, I'd go home, and I'd be single mum, just really hard, really hard, without any money. And I'd just be sitting at home because I didn't have, didn't have any money to do anything. And that would be it. So I was sort of slightly stagnant. And I can remember... I can remember, it was like a real moment for me, like, I can't remember how old I was, I was like 34 or something, and it was my 35th it was my birthday, and I woke up with nits, because my daughter had given me nits... <laughs>
1: bloody school bloody honestly
2: <laughs> there's a lot of nits going around in, in oh. primary school I don't know they just disappear when they leave primary school Yeah. and I was sitting there and I was like this is a low Like <laughs> <laughs> this, this is I've gotten it I'm, this is my birthday nobody celebrating I haven't got a present because my daughter's too young to buy me a present and like, it's just like right I think I need something <laughs> in my life so I probably I was just I was just sort of I felt like in my own personal life I was just sort of existing really and I'd moved to Farnham and here we go back to that little story sort of about being being a, a bit of a fish out of water. So I was it's it's a lovely town, Farnham. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> I was never the mum at the school gates. Right. And, I, 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 and to my poor daughter, I was continually making these really sort of small mistakes because I was sort of always rushing to get the train, trying to do my job and then get back for her. So, like, I remember one, it was a summer, summer term, and I sent her in to school with the wrong colour summer dress on because I didn't know what the colour... And I was just like, and I got a letter back, and I was always like, and they used to always just like can we have some money for the school trip? And I couldn't quite send on the school trips, and so I was a little bit... So I was always that sort of mum, and I, I couldn't bake a cake... How'd you feel when you were like?
1: At this oh, point? it was very demoralizing. Yeah. It was just, I mean, like, it is, oh, isn't it?
2: God, I'm not one of those, you know, and people didn't know who I were. If I did turn up to pick my daughter up, like, I'm sorry, who are you here for? And i am yeah. like, my daughter. <laughs> like, honestly, it's just, uh, it wasn't. So it was, I was quite, um, I always had, a, I always felt like I wasn't great at being a mum because I was trying to sort of just Balance everything. pay the bills. I mean, yeah. it's
1: admirable. It yeah. really is. Since breaking up with my wife, yeah. you know, that's five years ago almost, you know, I've had those moments. As that you know, of three, where you're just there and you're like, I'm feeling so bad. Oh, God, yeah. I'm feeling I'm so, so bad. Badly. And look um, at all the other parents. I
2: I had a, a crap car. I lived in an ex council house, which fortunately I owned. And like, I just couldn't, I mean, literally, you couldn't afford the carpets were literally threadbare. And I had to buy a cheap rug and put it on top. And so I was just sort of doing my best. But you just, like you know, you think, oh, God. It
3: just existed. You yeah, said it right.
2: Yeah. And I couldn't. I can remember baking it was like <laughs> it was like cake sale. Like, okay, so let's bake a cake. Tried bake a cake, didn't work. It kind of exploded out of the, the sort of holding. Oh, so I I hand scraped hand. it, put it in and iced it and I just took to Lily, take it in. I said, buy it back. Make sure you buy it back. <laughs> of course she didn't. And now so whoever's bought that cake over, the slice open had just been a mess inside. I was like, Oh god. Anyway, yeah, so I was um I was I was that sort, of, I wasn't But you tried. I, well yeah, I tried. <laughs> I was sort of I started I started to run. And I thought, oh, this is, this is cheap. It's not cheap, is it really? Because trainers. But um, I thought, I can do this in my lunch hour. Yeah. And uh, my brother, I think he could probably, I think he maybe saw a bit of it in me.
1: So it's your older brother? So
2: it's my younger brother. Younger. Younger brother Alan. I think he sort of saw this in me. And he was like, OK, I'm running a marathon. And I was like, what? And he said, "And I'm going to run this half marathon. It's really near you. So you're going to run it with me? And I was like... No. <laughs> I didn't even know how long it was. I was like, it was a half marathon. I didn't even know how far it's. And then we signed up. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start running. And I, I did a couple of things. I went to a little local boot camp which I genuinely loved. And this is where I was sort of, felt maybe, I ha- maybe I did, no, I definitely did. I felt quite isolated in Farnham because I was just sort of just doing my thing and commuting back and forth to London and just spending the weekends by myself. And then I went to this little boot camp and I made some f- friends through fitness and they were like, oh, come out, you know, why don't you come out on, on, you know, we're going go out for a, a meal or whatever. And I found this little group of friends. So that was Nice. And I started running, and I can remember trying to, to to run and not being able to really, just trying to run like around a, 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 a football pitch and not being able to do it. <laughs> you say not being able to do it,
1: like without in, stopping, without stopping. Yeah,
2: right. I was like, oh got a bit wheezy. <laughs> yeah, probably the tar in my lungs. <laughs> so to with it I, I yeah.
1: guess that's the wonderful thing is. So you're thirty four, thirty five, training for a half marathon. You don't know how long that is.
2: So I was back then. I was still sort of. Was I? Yeah, I was. That I was still working at Guildford Borough Council, so there is a bit of an overlap oh, okay. here with, right, right, with, right. with the timelines here. Yeah, so that's when I sort of started running, and then did the half marathon, and then just and I, I, I crossed that half marathon finish line. I was absolutely terrified at the start, like just terrified, like oh my goodness, I didn't know how far I'd run in training because I didn't have like you know a bit of watches you and things now. I don't really remember that, um, but did it, and I can remember when I crossed the finish line, being absolutely. Elated, like proud, elated, just like I I can't I couldn't believe I'd done it. And it just the afterglow was like powerful, like really, really powerful. Um yeah, so it was it was a real moment. And and I was like, I couldn't walk, like at least you can walk down the curb. But I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna become a runner.
1: And then I joined the funny thing was you were already a runner at that point. But you probably I know, yeah, but, I never, but
2: do you know what? Actually, that's so true, because people say that to me, and, I find, and I'm like, stop it, when they say, oh, I'm not really a runner. I'm like, oh, I've did this 10K. I'm like, if we, what are you talking about? Yeah. So actually, thanks for picking me up on that. That is absolutely true. And then I joined a local running club, which took a bit of courage to pluck up and do, because I thought I was going to be too slow or whatever, uh, not wearing the right trainers or whatever.
1: I, 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 you did the, uh, the half marathon in an underwired bra, I did, yes. That's not a good idea. Well, no. (laughs) On reflection, hurt my boobs. I'm sure (laughs) it did. I'm sure it did. No, I didn't
2: have. I I didn't have a sports bra or 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 running shoes. I had these sort of really. And oh god, the photos are hilarious. I had just like gym shoes on, just like yeah. That's all I had really. Uh, I'd gone down to Sports Direct and and spent uh, like yeah yeah. (laughs) And I think the top ad was like two ninety nine from H and M or something. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean again, is one of those beautiful things, much like football. Why is football the world's most popular sport? Because you can kick a can around and call it football. You know, running you know, it can and does get expensive. I know yeah, that. Yeah. I know. Oh it very uh,
2: quickly, very easily.
1: Well, so you were able to pick it up? You were in and then just. And then Do you, you know what, yeah?
2: I, I did actually, because it made me feel good about myself. It was relatively cheap. It was like a little bit of a what was really enabling about it were the people. I was I was just surrounded by people who were just really encouraging and nice and be like, Hey Susie, why don't you come and come and run this race? I'd be like I, I don't love, know if I can and they'd be like, Yeah, come on, it's fine.
1: I love fitness for that. Yeah. So the first gym I ever went to I was fourteen community. Straight yeah, away very you build much. a community. The you know, rugby, um, you know, my the gym that I worked at, I'm still friends with Everybody now, you know, and that's 15, 16 years on from me. Fifteen years from working there, I think fitness brings people together in a really, really a- special way.
2: Absolutely, and for me, running has always been. I know for some people, it's their little escape, and the, mm. and and for me, no, I'll, I can run by myself. Obviously, I have done for a very, very long way. But for for me, it was it was like my social. It became my sort of social life as well. Yeah. Um. And it and it was it was it was and, good. And for it's me.
1: a social life where it's not down the pub. You're not. You yeah. Know, getting... It was.
2: And it wasn't a conscious shift. It just it just gradually happened. I was like, this is what's making me feel really good. I'm going to get up at 7.30am and meet these people and I'm going to go running with them, we're going to go and run nine miles and it's going to be brilliant And and I really enjoyed how that made me feel afterwards. Was it
1: easy with your daughter?
2: No, it was really hard. And I look back and I think, oh, bloody hell, that was awful, poor thing. She used to go to her dad's. When she went to her dad's, it would, I'd have more time. Or my mum would sometimes come and look after her just so I could get along. This is when I started to train for the ultramarathons. Mm. Or I'd go and I'd run and it would be like, I'd go and I'd get up really early and then I'd run like 20 miles or whatever and then pick her up from my sisters or whatever and I'd be absolutely done in. And then she'd be like, what should we do? And I'd yeah. be like, hey! <laughs> yeah, let's go to the park and run around. Just push <laughs> oh, me. <God>. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was, it was hard. And then she no. had to stand... And it was when she was, well, let's see how old she'd been, probably about seven, eight sort of thing at that age. So she had to stand in quite a, a muddy, rainy field several times waiting for me to finish a race or whatever. And that's why she hates running now. <laughs> 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 running essentially is, if you look at it, it is essentially is quite a selfish thing to do. You know, if you, it takes you out from... Unless you're running with your friends, but essentially in a sort of live situation, you're just just doing it for yourself, aren't you? And especially ultra running in particular.
1: How did you get to ultra running from that half marathon?
2: Oh, complete ignorance. I read a, I just don't know how it happened. I did a marathon with my boot camp friends. They were like, let's do a marathon. I was like, oh my God, no, I couldn't. They're like, come on, we're all doing it. Paris, can't remember the date, 2012, something like that. 2011, I'm going to say. It was, I did the half marathon, then Paris marathon. And I was like, absolutely not. Are you joking? Like, I nearly died doing that half marathon. And they were like, no, no, no. And it was, again, all very enabling. Like, we're doing it, and there'd be people of all sorts of fitnesses giving it guys I was like, oh, no, 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 let's, go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do it. And then I, I read about a race called the Marathon des Saab in Runner's World. Wanted to know more. And the internet wasn't throwing up the results. Like you'd not does. heard of it before then? It wasn't. I, didn't, I had no clue anybody would or could run further than a marathon. I, I literally didn't know anything I'm, um, about ultra-running at all. It's a six days? Six days, about 250 kilometres. They change it each year through the Sahara Desert. And um, it's self-sufficient. So that's the really hard bit. So you have to carry everything you need to survive for a week in the Sahara Desert on your back. They give you water, but it is rationed. So um, they set up like a little sort of bivouac for you. And you run point to point each day and have to... Carry everything, so all of your survival kits, all your food, which is probably the main bulk of your kits, and then um, sleeping bag. How many kilos is that? I don't know. Well, this is the thing. So there's a minimum you have to have, but then a lot of guys did it, and it's easier for guys to, to carry. 10, 12 kilograms. Mm. I'm not that tall. I'm five foot four. Yeah. <laughs> and if I, I managed to get my pack, it was about nine kilograms and it was incredibly tough for me to carry. But you eat your way through it as you... Of course, so you get lighter. So, so it does as get, you get lighter. Tighter. But yeah. I, uh, the first time I did it, it was quite heavy. I bought like, Silly things, Rich, like a change of socks. <laughs> yes, something like that. How ridiculous of me. Well, um, you,
1: everybody tells you look after your feet, so you're probably thinking, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, bring
2: it. I'll, I'll bring it, and then a lightweight jacket, because it is very cold at night. Um, I, I, I finesse that over the years. So I went to do it for the first time in 2013. Everybody told me I shouldn't do it, couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't afford it either, I'm not going to lie. I had to phone up the bank manager
1: and be like... So do you have to pay to do it? Yes, you do.
2: it's thousands. Uh, three two something like that right, yeah so you've
1: done the half marathon marathon and then the the next big thing you did was the marathon to sub yes <laughs> <laughs>
2: And what happened was, <laughs> I didn't. I just wanted to. I was fascinated. I was like, people do this, and it was so otherworldly and unachievable and beautiful and gorgeous and just like dreamy. It was like a dream. It, I just thought this is like my live stream. This race. Imagine being out there running. These people are all smiling, running around down sand dunes. I thought, oh, come on, this looks sounds incredible. And so I signed up to the waitlist. I was like hundred and twenty fifth. I was like, I was way down you just in this thought, wait list. Not going to get it. Well, yeah, it's ridiculous. So I signed onto the waitlist to get the emails to find out more because there wasn't a huge amount of information about it yeah. uh, then. <laughs> just, I started getting the emails and then also started to go up the wait because people drop out because they overtrain or they, they don't
1: get quite injured finish, or, they get yeah, injured or they don't quite,
2: can't quite afford it. Yeah. And then I realised I was going to get in.
1: How many um, runners in the moment? Uh,
2: so. It depends. So anything from about 600 to 1,000. So it depends on me, they take in, uh, which is sort of, there's lots of exterior factors.
1: How many times have you done it now? Four. Four. You going to do it again? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exclusive. So, so, for you. So, thank you very, they keep, very much. They so, keep yeah. asking me every year
2: and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sort of done with that. And now I'm like, oh, it's my 50th soon. Maybe maybe the last hurrah in the desert. I don't know. I'll see. I mean, it. it... it terrified me and everybody was like what are you doing you can't do this and that's when I was like don't tell my dad because he will just he would just see it as the most colossal waste of time <laughs> energy and money possible and and, and you know to, to some and it's like Horses for courses, isn't it? Sometimes I look at a sport and I think, why are you doing that for? And that oh, is yeah. so silly. So I, I, I trained really hard, really, really hard for that race. I was running in my lunch hour. I was running. I was getting off the train and running. Like, I was just running everywhere all the time. Any available spare minute I had, I was, I was running and training for that race. And along the way, I did my first ever ultra in training, which was around the Isle of Wight. I thought, if I can't run around the Isle of Wight in June, I will die in the Sahara Desert. Yes, so I ran around it. It was actually, it showed me that it, what is doable. And just for everybody listening,
1: an ultra is how long?
2: It's anything longer than a marathon, really. Yeah. And I can remember being, every time I thought about this race, like on the commute in or when in my train, I'd, I'd have like a mild panic, you know, like a sort of slightly nervous, sick feeling. Like oh god, because I went out by myself. I didn't really. I didn't know anybody there. No, and not many women sort of ran it as well. What's the
1: percentage, men women?
2: The, back then, I don't know, ten percent. Yeah, something like that. They've really working hard to to, to get it um, up higher over the last few years. So, and but I had this real moment where I'd scrimped and saved. I I'd, I'd made it happen, and I was stood on the start line, and I was in <laughs> the Sahara Desert. And I was just looking around with my huge pack on, it weighed a ton. And I was just like, I am meant to be here. And I I just suddenly thought, it's fine, you're going to do this. And that was, up until that point, all the running I'd ever done, I'd be like, I don't know if I can do this. Can I do this? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And that moment I was like, I've come home. This is it. (laughs) And I thought I was going to run that race and it'd be done. No. (laughs) Ran the race. Extraordinary feeling of accomplishment. I can only imagine. And then it just opened the doors, the flood, the flood, not the doors, the floodgates opened and that was it. I just, I was just into ultra running.
1: <laughs> so did you do the marathon the next year, the marathon disabled? Say, I, the I did year. it on so a, a I a... had
2: a weird pattern of roughly every two years, I'll just right, go, okay. go back to it somehow. Because there was another, there was a reason to go back there. They, uh, I went back two years later with my then boyfriend, who's right. now my husband. And did we went Did you meet back... him running? obviously I didn't do anything else I ran worked went to bed we went out and there was just a a small group of friends said oh we want to do it and I was like yeah I'll go back I'll go back let's go back and I did very well that year because I had spent the last two years just doing loads of ultra marathons more races more more races more miles and I'd kind of my body had sort of caught up with my (laughs) my race entries and I just had a, a beautiful moment where I was running really really well and um I had a really strong race and I was, I was in the elites, which was absolutely remarkable because I'm not that fast. I, it, everything just came together and it happens rarely, I would say, in sports. You know, you work very hard in sports, uh, in running. Majority of the time you do your stuff, it's you're just doing it. Yes. Sometimes it's going to be sucks and it's horrible and then sometimes it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's the beautiful times that keep you going. And it just all came together in that race and so I did really well. I think I was just outside the top ten women
1: in the end. I know I spoke to Cracknell. And oh yeah
2: I like, oh yeah crack he, <laughs> he, finished, <laughs> he needs think... to
1: eat some solids that boy I was oh. like what are
2: you what are you doing son I, mean, I watched he... that documentary before and I was like what is yeah, it why yeah, he needs to eat some solids yeah,
1: he's yeah. great he's brilliant meeting people like you and him that make me feel so lazy he's and I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah, a lazy human being. If it
2: helps, I'm bone idle outside yeah, they're so, running. I, yeah
1: I, I in <laughs> case, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, everybody's got the thing they point towards, right? Yeah. But um, I think he finished twelfth. or yeah, something, Which is the highest male
2: then. Yeah, yeah. it was then. He's bananas. I've seen. I've seen Cracknell race, right? Bananas. He okay. operates in a level which only an Olympian can operate on. And I've seen. His, I've only seen it a couple of times. With my other friend, Ewan really? Thomas, who I was talking about, there's just like a little something in, in their head, yeah. which can make them push themselves far beyond an, what an average person would yeah. stop at
1: and it's funny because again and and talking to him and talking to Sean they don't get that other people don't think that way
2: it's extraordinary i've, I've seen it's i was uh, an official pacer for london marathon right. Had a giant flag on my back and there's a bit in london marathon where there's a switchback i was four hours whatever i was doing and then the front runners came through <laughs> and there were all these like teeny tiny runners and then there was cracknell in the middle of it right and he looked like he was absolutely hanging right and i was like Dude is absolutely in the hurt locker there, right? There's absolutely no way he's going to finish with that lock. He just, and everyone else looked fine. And it was about, I don't know, 18 miles, something like that. I can't remember the switch, back. 17. And I can remember thinking, oh, God, he looks like he was suffering there. And then I finished the race, I looked up where he finished. Hey, it was bang on. He just stayed with them the whole way. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know how he did it. Madness. <laughs> uh, yeah. My,
1: but, but, I mean, that's you too. You know, he's you're just, saying madness. Yeah, maybe. Was, yeah, maybe. That's you too. So what I love about you is... You didn't start until later. Mm. Yeah, you know, if we talk about Cragnall, he did that all the way through. You know, that was his life. You know, was yeah, his, his, was true. an athlete, he was an Olympian. You know, that was from eighteen to thirty-five. That was his life. Yeah. But you didn't pick this up until you were thirty-five. No. I'm hoping that people listen to this and think you don't always have to find that thing that you end up doing and love, like you know, straight away. Absolutely. And also, it can sometimes just find you. Like I never thought oh, I want to
2: be a runner. I can remember watching. London Marathon and being like oh god imagine yeah. imagine they'll run 26 miles like those people oh my god and
1: now you've done I've just learned through in my research with you about the six majors
2: oh yeah I've done the World Marathon majors yeah that yeah. was fun
1: tell me about that because I I didn't know about this and possibly some people won't necessarily know what the majors are
2: so the World Marathon majors are six of the biggest uh marathons in the world and um, they are London, New York, Berlin, Boston Marathon, Chicago Marathon and Tokyo Marathon. And I'd run two of them back to back. London and Boston were one week apart. And I also did that within... I think a couple of weeks of running my very first 100 miler. Right. It was a big month for me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know anything about the World Marathon Majors. It was quite a new concept there. Yeah. So it was put, they were put together as like to put these together. And if you run these big marathons, you then go on a hall of fame and get a giant medal. And um, somebody reached out to me on on Twitter, as it was, and said, Shall I run? Sophie Rayworth, my friends? <laughs> what shall I run? London or Boston? Because they're only a week apart. And I wrote back and said, Both of them. Why wouldn't you or something like that? Anyway, we met in Boston. She was like, all right, then. We met in Boston and then ran the race, ran Boston Marathon, which was extraordinary because it's it's one of the oldest marathons in the world. Absolutely extraordinary race. And we went out afterwards for burgers and pints, as you do, to celebrate. And then that's when we really found out about the World Marathon Majors. And then we also found out back then, maybe 2015, maybe even earlier, I can't remember the year, maybe 2014, anyway, that there were hardly any women. There were like 30 women had done it. And we were like, let's do that then. And, it's, and it's, it was hard because I had to, I had to run qualifying times to get in all of them apart from berlin which i got in on the ballot because i couldn't i simply couldn't run that fast it was too fast for me to get into what kind of speed are we talking oh like sub 120 half marathon which i (laughs) it's ridiculous but the rest of them i had to i had to do like a good for age times i had to like really graft away to get into these races and it's it was it's not the cheapest pursuit in the world so um we we just we ticked off ticked off slowly one after the other and i finished in chicago marathon which which was what turned out to be the toughest one for me <laughs> i had a terrible cough and it had come and gone um, over the course of the year. And I don't really go to the doctors. I'm not one for going to the doctors unless there's something really wrong with me because I feel like I'm just, they're, they're busy people. So I had this cough and I went, I finally went to the doctor and I've got this terrible cough and it just won't go. And they gave me some antibiotics and it went, but it kept coming back. And I was right, I was in Chicago, really excited, about to collect our six stars. There's like a little special area you go to at the finish, you see them before, like they make a bit of a fuss of you. And I had this cough and it, honestly, it was I was clearing lifts. As soon as I started coughing, people were like pressing on the buttons to get out the lift it sounded terrible it sounded terrible I, I couldn't quite stand up when I was coughing that's how bad
1: it was it was really horrible and this was before you ran the race even yeah
2: so I was like oh no but like I had to run the race I'm not waiting a whole year I'm not watching my mate Sophie get like, star. <laughs> my mate Sophie and Tim there were two of them they were, and I was like no 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 I, I've got to be with them and I knew by this point because I'd run lots of ultra marathons that I, I could run 26 miles feeling terrible so I did <laughs> I was just coughing my way through that. I started off all smiles and then I just, it was. You've oh, it seen was, photos, you it just was, get less and less. It was horrible. They were, and it was absolutely horrible. And Sophie was, at the end, she was really worried about me. She didn't say it at the time. She was, I could see her looking at me and she grabbed my hand we had about a mile to go. And I can remember saying to her, if I faint, don't let them take me off
1: the course because it means i would have to.
2: I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got Oh, six,
1: really? So if you go off the course, then you're done? If they take off
2: the course, you're done. So I was like, if I faint, don't let them Just faint. leave me, hate. I'm <laughs> just, 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 I'll just be on the floor. Just, just I'll get just myself sort, up. sort me out, it'll be fine. Um, finished, I was seeing stars, and they were interviewing us. for so a TV camera, and they were like, okay, here's uh, six stars, da-da-da. And we were sort of chatting, and I turned to Sophie, and I said, I'm going to faint. I'm going to faint. And I just faint. I just went. And was I that, Was it filmed? I can't remember, probably was actually, but I think I was like very British. I'd like, ex- excuse me, and then fainted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: going to lie down here if you don't <laughs> I'm mind. I'm terribly
2: sorry. And then, and then she was like, oh my God, because I'd run like I'd run like 100 miles. I'd done all these Yeah, so they, she knew that waste. that wasn't okay. Yeah, it was not normal. Yeah. So I went to the medical tent and I was lying there with her and she was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was watching people being put on drips and I was like, okay, I'm not that bad. I've just, I've just fainted. I just made me need to eat. I had this cough. I phoned up the doctor they were like, you need to sort that cough out. That cough is debilitating. It's not doesn't sound right. Phoned up the doctor from America, flew home, got my chest x rayed, and found they found a massive cancerous lump at the top of my neck, which was causing the cough. And I had um, I had thyroid cancer, and I didn't
1: know. How long do you think you'd had it at that point?
2: It was quite big by that point. So I think I'd been feeling off and on pretty ropey for about a year.
1: So you were running, you were doing these ultras, all yeah. of this with. Thyroid. I was just
2: getting slower and slower and sort of sweatier and just more cumbersome. And I was just like, oh, I'm just getting, you put it down to, oh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a bit busy I mean, you're, at you're work. You doing a lot, right? Yeah, I was running a lot of marathons. Maybe I'm just getting older. And you just, because the, the symptoms are so incredibly vague, I didn't quite know. And I was like, huh. <laughs> That'll be why. <wise. laughs> oh, so it ma- kind of makes, makes sense. sense now. How did you
1: feel when they told you it was cancer?
2: I was when people start talking to you about things like that. So again, Sophie came with me. Right. <laughs> Bless her heart. When people start talking to you about things like that, your mind just 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 kind of like just like just goes like that, like that and you just start thinking lot. about a million different things, and you stop listening to what they're saying. You just hear like two words, and you you genuinely don't know what to think. Like you just you just sort of go. Well, I did. I was just like uh, sorry, what? and then you just. Processing that, and then they go, okay, thank you, goodbye, and then you walk out the door, and then the, you have to go back for like a follow up. But you're just like, I was in a bit for days. I just, it was like, it was like an out of body experience.
1: Were you scared? I don't
2: feel like being scared was. I didn't feel it has an overwhelming feeling. I remember thinking, oh great, <laughs> like being a little bit let down with my body. Like <laughs> I, I thought. <laughs> I thought I could run along. It was a little bit like, what? How dare you? What are you joking? <laughs> and this, just to tie this in with where I was in my sort of my sort of career, I had a few months earlier been offered sponsorship. I was doing the running thing. I was doing the museum thing. And and it got to the point where I wasn't really doing either of them particularly. It's hard. Like, well, At a
1: certain point, you've got to make a choice, right? So
2: I, so I was juggling the job, um, I was running all these sort of long distances, I was knackered at work. Um, it was, and and the Instagram thing was beginning to sort of mm. swell a little bit, and I just had this opportunity for sponsorship. And so, after a lot of uh, massive Amount of courage it took because I'd only I had the real sort of I have a real sort of um, confidence crisis when it comes to anything to do with money because I've always been so poor <laughs> and they're like I, c- I can't not have a monthly wage coming in to pay my mortgage it's like it stressed me out just thinking about it but I just t- I took the plunge so I, I, that happened about three months before I got cancer was the sponsor? it was uh, it was actually a um, it was like a local lawyers they just gave me just enough. Yeah just enough to sort of cover what would be my mortgage not my bills and so i was like okay and then i was doing a bit of commentating a bit of presenting and that was really and that all came from social media all from social media that was really taking effect and then i was doing sort of just working with brands like adidas whatever to doing little
1: activation so they just came to you all because you put yourself out there
2: yeah, I was just documenting what I was doing, did and I was, that come quite naturally to. you? It, yeah, I wasn't just. Just so you know, there was absolutely zero strategy. I never set out to pick up sponsorship. It just, it just happened, and it was just. It was. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was just enough to make me think maybe I could. If I did, if I did like one commentary gig a week, and it would be I would just about cover my bills. Yeah, and so commentary for who? Base uh, commentating. So like you know at half marathons or marathons, I'll be there doing that, and I just panicked yeah. I proper panicked when I found out I wasn't well and then Intersport were another company that uh, that, that I became um, one of their sponsored athletes and so I was like brilliant, and then all of a sudden, like I was like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm not going to be seen as I'm going to be seen as unhealthy." Going to be taken away from you. Yeah, was it's going to be taken away from me. Was that, that was my main concern. I wasn't I wasn't like, "Am I going to?" D-? I wasn't fearful like that. I
1: mean, I don't know anything about thyroid cancer. It's one of the nicest
2: ones? It's you can choose a cancer. Yeah, it was. It's, it's easy. It depends on on. I can't. I can only talk about my experience because mm. and so this is why I, I don't really dwell on it because I, I see other people and their cancer journeys and it's. Hard. It's really rough, and mine was incredibly straightforward.
1: Because you were just able to have an operation. It just—it was
2: encapsulated. They just took it out, and it's like, yeah. right, it's gone now, and it hadn't travelled anywhere else. That wasn't no. Anything. I was very lucky. It, I was very, very lucky. The whole t- process was only a few months from start to finish.
1: Lily would have been a teenager at this mm, point. Yeah, that might have been, was that hard for her?
2: I didn't really tell her. <laughs>
1: You much <laughs> until you
2: Until the... A little bit, yeah. I didn't really... T- I didn't want to worry her. Because it's terrifying, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I sort of did me and then I said, oh, I've got an operation. Then I was like, oh, I, I, then I told her afterwards. I said, but it's fine now. And she was trying to do a GCSE. So she doesn't, she doesn't that's, need that's... this. You don't need this in your life. Yeah, so... So I was actually... I was very lucky. Were you
1: it's, public it's, about the cancer? I, like, did I sort you sort of I, you on social? I, I, I did, like,
2: it? one post and then one post after. And then I just, was like, cracked on business as usual. Because I just... I'm not one for being, like... Oh, I'm, I'm not well today. I just, mm. it's just not really my nature.
1: I mean, you seem incredibly optimistic and positive. And yeah, it's, it goes... it's what
2: it is, and and it was treated, and it was gone. But there is. I'll be lying if I say that that it was like completely gone because there is like there was like an after effect where you're like, don't quite trust your body. You're like, <laughs> why is that? Why am I aching there? Was yeah. that and then I had to sort of just undo some of the insecurities that, that being unwell gave to me. Mm. And I undid it by doing a lot of ultramarathons of <laughs> in a, quite did. a short space of time to sort of prove to myself that I could still do these things. So I did um, I did and I, I didn't ask my oncologist. I did a half marathon about two weeks after the operation. <laughs> and how I was did, like, How did you feel? I was I was delighted. Felt I felt okay. alive. It's I was just, like, well, there's, a, there's the a photo of me punching the sky. It was like Vitality Half London one. And I was like, if I don't feel well, I'll just stop. It's fine. It's, it's totally not worth it. And then I get to about nine miles, pretty much like my first one. I was like, oh, I'm going to finish. And I was there. I'm like, woo, the crowds. And then I did a, um, and then I went to do the Marathon de Saab <laughs> <laughs> about two months later. <laughs> and then I did a 100 miler. And then I was like, I think I need to sit down now. I've, I've, I've proved that I'm,
1: I'm. You're okay. I'm okay. You're yeah. And so, how did Peloton come into the picture?
2: This was the, this was the, the the thing, and I didn't realise it was the thing. But this was the thing. This is was going to sound really really cheesy. I'll tell you how it happened. I'll tell you what happened. So I was sort of doing my thing. I was doing the commentating. Mm-hmm. I picked up another sponsorship, quite a, a bigger one at this point, with a with a brilliant um, fitness company, uh, company called Mizuno, really supportive. Um, I was doing you know a few of the activations, but it was things were sort of ticking along. Really, really nicely. And then COVID happened and I was like, uh oh, right. Like every like the whole world. I mean I was not alone in that sort of slight oh right panic about things. And amazingly, I still had a bit of work through Mizuno. the contracts remained and we did what we could with the circumstances. So I was very, very lucky. And then I just just got a DM. <laughs> We're launching the tread in the UK. We'd like to talk to you. And I thought Oh yeah, they probably want me to like do a little self some selfies on to do something for Instagram, maybe do a post, maybe test it out, maybe come to a class. you know I genuinely thought that that's that's what it was, so I was like, yeah, sure, here's my email
1: of course, Peloton had become such an incredibly huge, huge company, especially I mean I know they were before, but during the pandemic yeah huge um, massive I think it changed people's lives, and it gave yeah. them a way to to do what they were previously doing, yeah. but then couldn't do yeah. in that it
2: was it gave people a space. Work out so they could get moving. It was the community aspect. I can't speak more highly of all those qualities that um, all those good qualities that that the fitness community have, they're they're there in Peloton, and you, you have that without even leaving your home. People make friends, people. It's it's extraordinary. It's 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 the most enabling, enabling space and also the most enabling company. And so I had this message and they wanted me to audition to be an instructor. (laughs) And I said, do you know how old I am? (laughs) Because I was 47. And in my head... Fitness, you know, fitness companies go for young people in their twenties, and Peloton aren't about that. They're just like, no, 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 we want, we want, we fitness want fitness for everybody. Want, yeah, we fitness for everybody, and so that was that was like, I was like, oh my god, this this company. And so I did did the auditions. It's quite a long process, and got the job. And what I did do, I can remember very much thinking from the get go that I wasn't going to. I didn't look at a class. <laughs> I just didn't want to be yeah, influenced by others. I understand, other, I understand other, that. I just thought, do you know, Bring what? I'm going to be myself, mm. and if I'm not right, then that's that's it is what it is. And then in my head, thinking that's a bit of a risk, Susie. <laughs> mm. But I just thought I'd just be myself and and not try and pretend to be anything other than who I am because I, I, I don't I don't if if I did and then I end up you, getting you would further. Have thought, then oh, I'd, they're looking for that. They're I'd looking for be, this, yeah, this cheerleader
1: could, type yeah. kind of yeah. So I was
2: just myself, and I didn't. Wanna to have to be a version of myself or, or whatever. I didn't want to have to then fake it. Unbelievably, I got the job and it was and this genuinely this is gonna sound so cheesy, but I think this is I'm like, this is where it's led to. This is where I'm supposed to be. Like I love running. I I love what it's I'm done to me. i getting the impression that you buy But I love, it's not necessarily like the, the speed or the pace. I just love what it's brought to my life. And I love how it's make, made me feel about myself. And I love how it's given me confidence. And I love the people I've met through it. Just the whole community thing. Everything about running has completely changed my life. And to be able to do this job and see other people get on the journey is just, honestly, I feel emotional talking about it. I, I get messages from people like I've run my first mile. I've signed up for my first marathon and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so excited for you. You're going on this journey.
1: It's yours and it's beautiful. And, yeah. and there you are telling me you're not a deep thinker. But it's I
2: just, but it's only I think because I can, I can relate I to all of you. I've been that person that, has, that can't run for 10 minutes. I, I, you know, I, I know what that person's going through. I know how hard it is to start into fitness because it is really hard. And out of all the things I've done, and I've done some very difficult things, probably one of the hardest things is... Being consistent at the start and just saying, I'm going to come back to this. This is horrible. This is hard work. I'm going to come back to this. And just just keeping that consistency at the start by myself, really, really tough. And so people that do that by themselves just keep coming back to their treads. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run for a little bit longer, another five minutes today. I'm like, yes, you. Go, go, do it. Do and it's thing. beautiful
1: because it can lead to, I mean, that your, your brother saying, hey, I'm doing this half marathon, you need to come do it with me, led to you breaking a world record. Not
2: run since, just putting that out there. Has he
1: not? No. Oh, it's Alan, right?
2: Yeah, he's, Alan, done, he's done a couple. Out, of, he's done a couple of small little ones, but um, can't be tempted. Uh, that's
1: because you've overshadowed him completely. It <laughs> is but a footnote. No, uh, but it led to you then breaking a the world record uh, over a twelve-hour oh, period. some of the things I've done. The yeah, that was of one that of was the things.
2: horrible. Yeah, that was that was an accident that came about.
1: Yeah, I often run for sixty plus no, miles. what happened was
2: I didn't know that it was possible. Uh, this is when of this, this coming was I was trained for an Ironman at the time, so I was super fit. Do myself. The problem with fitness is sometimes when you're really fit, you don't realise how fit you are in the moment. I was super fit, and my friend, Dr. Chris Howe, who has been with me on my running journey from that very first mountain in the to my la- my latest race, Badwater One Three Five, he is a sports scientist, and he was trying to collate some experiments around ultra running. Quite not not much study has gone into it, and he needed to have sort of basically an experiment where people ran for fifty miles. And then he collated everything that ate, drank, weighed, took blood tests, sort of sweat tests, saliva tests, a lot of experiments on you whilst you ran 50 miles on a treadmill in a sports science lab. And not many people wanted to do that <laughs> um, I idea. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and run for 50 miles on a treadmill for you. And I did, um, ran it, ran it quite fast because I was super fit and went home, did a tweet about it or something, went home. And then somebody said, you know, if you'd kept running, you would have broken the world record. And I was like... What I was forty six at the time, and I was like, I could, I could get a running world record at forty six, and so we set about doing it, and it was quite difficult because you need a lot to satisfy Guinness. It was like there was like twenty six pages of like rules and regulations, and they, it was really tough. So we, we had to do a lot of. Elaborate things to keep them happy it had to be open to the public. All manner of random people came in to watch. I'm like, I don't know. Um, the, the calibration of the treadmill, the whole thing had to be filmed, had to be streamed live. So we had a, it was a, it was an operation. And what happened was, I went in and. I was actually a little bit stressed at this point because somebody had tweeted it and then it had gone, to, not viral, but it got out and I started And I, mean, I the was running community very is quite low-key. a tight
1: one, right? Like, you know, social media-wise. Yeah. If somebody's doing something a little bit different.
2: Yeah, but I think it, I think Sophie tweeted it and then it got picked up by Piers Morgan of all people and then he retweeted it. And then, like, all these... And I was just like... So then all these people were like, what? Why would you do... No, like, all those people, like, like that, that couldn't comprehend yes. Ultra and be like, why would you do that? So this whole... Com- I woke up to, like, thousands of tweets and I was like, oh, Lord. And then I got on the treadmill and I started running, and I was like, oh, no, I don't, I'm not feeling this today. And it was a slog.
1: How far in were
2: you before you went? Two to miles in, and I was like, oh, this is God. horrible. <laughs> this is, I'm not, you know, just some what, days you're what, just what, not feeling
1: how, it. Hang on, it was um, 68.4 miles, so you've got another 66.4 <laughs> miles to go, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, um, not, I'm not up for this.
2: Yeah, I was thinking it's not today. Sometimes no. running just does that to you. You just think, oh, it's hard today. And I was, it was hard that day. But you did it. I did it. It was horrible. <laughs> I was, Would you I do it was again? sick as a dog. Absolutely not. You do,
1: I, would you attempt any sort of world record again?
2: Depends what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you find I mean, it depends what it I just so when I started ultra running there were very few women. Now there's lots and lots of women of incredible, incredible women running astonishing times and just being brilliant at it. I am bang average in the ultra world bang average right and I know I can run 100 miles but I am bang average at running 100 miles so there are women out there that are just doing extraordinary things in ultra running the
1: amazing thing is though is you've probably inspired an awful lot of those
2: I don't know if I have I haven't but what I would like to think is I'd like to inspire the people that think they can't do it because genuinely (laughs) you can it's all about it's all about your mindset and you don't have to be super fast of which I'm not you just have to be quite tenacious I think I just want to give it a go what next for you? Well, I don't... I've just finished a really big race, and all, it, was Baywater, I could, it was all I could think about for, for years. It was like my dream, dream race. And for me, it's the top of the tree. It's the top of the tree. And I've finally plucked up the courage to do so it. It's the 125. 135. 135, my apologies. Don't extra 10 miles Sorry, Susan. very painful.
1: I'm sure they top. were.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's a race called Badwater 135, and it's through... It's 135 miles non-stop. So... I hadn't run that far before in my life and it goes over three mountain ranges so the biggest elevation I've ever done in my life in a race and it also happens to be in Death Valley, the hottest place on earth and it's done at the hottest time of the year so it's serious business. It's really, really serious, and it's an invitational race. So you have to be selected to run, and and that the reason for that is is really because you need to know what you're doing. You need to. It's very. Da- it's actually essentially a very dangerous environment. It's very. There's nothing there. And the average life expectancy in Death Valley is 14 hours, and we have 48 hours to run 135 miles through. It. Jesus, how are how you sleeping? <laughs> I wasn't. You so you? Just I think ran. I just fell asleep a couple of times running. Yeah, really. Mm, yeah, I was hallucinating. Can you do that? Yes, you can. I've done it a few times. Oh, yeah, you'll be running and then you'll be like, that. oh, I'm
1: nearly... See, I've I've experienced that, I guess, when I'm driving and it's late and, you know, you do that thing where you you open the windows and you think, Jesus, I'll just stick your head out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can genuinely fall asleep.
2: Oh, I have fallen asleep running several times. (laughs) I've never heard that before in my life. Uh, Yeah, and you think, maybe I can get away with this. Oh, no, I'm going to fall over. you don't fall
1: over?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll fall over, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so you did the Badwater 135? 135
2: one, it was incredibly and tough but I finished. So I don't know now. You see that's the thing. This I it was for me the, the one. Yeah. It was the one. And I got in, which is an achievement itself, and I finished and I loved it. I lo- every fiber of my being loved that race. Even when I was in chronic pain i was just like it's such a privilege
1: i think that's such a, such a privilege the thing that's come through with everything you've said is just an appreciation for it oh and yeah an enjoyment for, oh, an enjoyment if you can because you know i I'm, i know you've spoken about type two fun and yeah yeah uh, it,
2: it, it's 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 i was in this extraordinary environment which i love yeah. extraordinary beautiful i love the desert i was doing the race of my dreams and i'd made it so just I was just I was just like I can remember being the start line and you've got to you've got to enjoy this you've got to enjoy this and because I had that I had a sort of lightness in my chest I've done some horrible races and I've been like this is horrible and drudge. I've really sort of been felt miserable inside but I'm finished but that one there was just a lightness in my head and my chest because I just thought this is it you're meant to be here you've got to get this done
1: it's incredible and your 50th is one.
2: Two years time. So I don't Oh, you said your fiftieth. Yeah, I might drum up something like that. But at the moment, no, I've just got that out of the way. You know, I'll yeah. probably do another hundred mileer, that sort of thing. Pop a couple of them in the diary. I've got New York Marathon in a couple of weeks.
1: I was going to say. I guess when you're as fit as you are, and you know, it's, and it's just like, yes, I can do that. So why not keep doing that until you don't want uh, to do it? Yeah, I'm
2: going to. The, the 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 reasons are now. It's all about. It's so ridiculous. Going on holiday with my friends, run hundred miles, that sort of thing. <laughs> So I'll do it as a social thing. So it's a group of us like, yeah, we'll sign up for that 100 miler somewhere nice and sunny. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. So it's
1: a social and it's a destination thing. It's it's such a long way from where you were. I know. Sat feeling the way that you did before you even started on this journey. So I think anybody listening that thinks that they can't, you're saying they can.
2: 100%. You, you have really got to want to. And I would say, you know, I've talked about running 100 miles. I've talked about doing these extraordinary mm. things. You, that doesn't have to be your goal. You can literally decide that you actually, your aim is to go and run Parkrun. You, you want to get moving. You want to get 5K done. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be in an I mean, extraordinary let's make place.
1: It, how do you find where your local Parkrun is?
2: Just go, literally, Parkrun, there should be one near you. They're all over the country. It's a free 5K run or walk. Check it out.
1: Yeah. also and there's a lovely community around it as well right yeah
2: having said that but primarily you want to get on the peloton app <laughs> uh,
1: let's, let's remember
2: <laughs> let's remember yeah. um yeah there's an the app and it's, it, you can download the app and you can have me you can come come running with me you can download a little out, outdoor run or walk and just get moving there's a there's a joy in movement. it's a privilege in being able to be able to do it and just 20 minutes 15 minutes in your day even 10 minutes i think sometimes people think you have to be doing something for an hour if mm. it's fitness not at all Just get out.
1: Well, it would make me incredibly happy if somebody comes to a class of yours and says that they came through this. Yes, uh, that would make oh, me I very, very that. happy. How cool would that be? Yeah, I came from the starting line. I this is my delighted. starting line.
3: Yeah, that would make be me delighted. very, very happy.
1: Well, Susie, I think we've got to wrap it up. Um, well, thank you so much for for talking to us. I think it's incredible to hear how you got to way to where you are. Have you got anything you wanted to say before we wrap up?
2: No, just just you're never you're never too old. Honestly, you really are never too old, and just it's better to try. I think. And and give something a go. I know that's really hella cheesy, but it's true. Thank you. Thank you very, very much.
1: And there we have it. Susie Chan, an incredible listen, an incredible person, infectiously positive, just wonderfully so. Some phenomenal stories in that. And does it make you feel like wanting to go for a run? Because it kind of does me. Whatever you do, if she's motivated you in any way, feel free to drop her a follow and a comment on Instagram at Susie underscore Chan underscore. She is, lest we forget, or was named the number one runner to follow on Instagram by Runners World and The Evening Standard. So absolutely go find her there. She posts really fun things about her work at Peloton and the runs she does. So go say hello. Tell her the Starter on Podcast sent you. Thank you very much. To you as the listener, again, this is not the end of series one. We are coming back with a couple of episodes behind the scenes. Ask away. Ask me any question you have. If it's, no matter how small, is it technical? Is it about a guest? Is it about me? Is it about any aspect of the Starting Line podcast? If so, email hello at startinglinepod.com. Get in touch across social media channels. That's at show. Or on Facebook and LinkedIn at Starting Line Podcast. You'll find it. Message, comment, DM, whatever you want to do. I will, obviously, credit you. I'll mention your name and where you got in touch. And respond to the question, if I can. As well as talk about the brilliant, brilliant guests we've had. And bring you some behind the scenes. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast or followed it, click the button. It's quick, It's easy some wonderful wonderful guests coming up you do not want to miss them if you're following it auto downloads it tells you about it straight away and it helps us too thank you and goodbye